Hello, creative souls, and welcome back to Think Outside the Blue Box podcast. I'm Anthony Rivera. I'm the lead videographer and editor here at Blue Box Digital, and welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm being joined by a very special guest. She's been on the podcast before, super talented, uh, amazing, award-winning filmmaker, Coralinda. How are you, Cora? <laughs> I'm pretty good. How are you? Good, good. Doing good. It's been a while since you've been on the podcast. I'm, I'm glad we can get you on today. Yeah, me too. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So just just as a little recap uh, for, for the, the, the people who you know haven't seen your episode in, in almost a year, I think it's been. Uh, yeah. Why don't you give a little recap of, of who you are? And, and I know Space Dream Productions is you and your husband's uh, production company. Let's let's kind of dive into uh, like who you are and, and, and what you do for them. It's so funny. It makes me think of an interview question I usually ask when I used to write uh, article interview articles. I'd say, who are you and what makes you that way? Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> right. Um, so, hi, I'm Cora. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of Space Dream Productions, um, which I do uh, now co-own with my husband. And we actually have two other minority partners uh, in it, Brian Redhead and Nick Gambino. Um, I started Space Dream Productions in Nick's living room in 2013, so almost 10 years ago. Wow. Um, yeah. And uh, then... Um, Spacey joined us in 2015 when we got married because he was legally obligated to. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, uh, he joined because he's he's awesome and I love working with him. Um, but uh, yeah, so um, kind of an overview, I guess, of uh, what I do is uh, my day job. I run the company. Um, I oversee our interns and our staff and I work. Uh, I manage our client projects. Um, so the company is actually divided into two sort of halves. Uh, one side of our production is focused on client services. So we're available for hire. We do everything from uh, poster design, pitch decks, script writing, script breakdowns, product development. Um, our focus is on supporting fellow artists, activists, and educators. So like, if you wanted to sell shoes and wanted us to make a commercial, we probably wouldn't do that. But if you wanted to like educate people on the importance of proper footwear and like, you know, maybe you're specifically focused on helping professional runners have the right shoe for their foot that enables them to run fast and not damage their knees or whatever, we would make um, like educational content that educates people on why supporting your foot properly is so important. I don't know why I picked shoes, <laughs> but um, so we have some great clients that we love working with. And then on the other side, we also produce our own films in-house um, and we, uh, I lost track. I have to add it up. Um, we've done, I think now over 30 films uh, since we released the first one in 2016. And yeah, you've been, um, we you've just been got cranking those out. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we just got our 15th Best Picture nomination uh, last Saturday. I saw so, that. Um, I saw that on Instagram. Congratulations. Things. Thank you. Yeah, it was kind of surreal. I wasn't actually expecting that, um, especially after I saw some of the other films. I was like, all right, you know. Yeah, I saw the, the post said that you were nominated in every category that you could be nominated in. That's awesome. Yeah. We didn't have any actors, so we couldn't get nominated for Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor. So we got nominated for Best Actress and Supporting Actress because we there was two characters in the whole movie. So, gotcha. um, but yeah, what we got, uh, 
so I can do it off the top of my head. Um, hair and makeup, production design, uh, supporting actress, actress, cinematography, editing, uh, music, sound, story, director, and picture. I think those are all of them. Yeah, I saw I saw the list of all the nominations, and uh, your name was was up there quite a bit. So you you wore quite a, quite a few hats in that in that project. We um, I I wasn't sure what to expect with that film, and I know I'm kind of going off the introduction uh, a little bit, but no, no, for that good. one in specific. Okay. For that one in specific, like I'm trained in a lot of different areas. I mean, I've been working in and around film for over 20 years. Um, so I have a lot of experience in different areas and I wanted to do something a little sort of like art house and kind of like more like gritty and like, I don't know that like indie, you know, like, and it literally was me and a camera and two actresses in downtown Orlando. <laughs> Get out of here. So um, uh, I had uh, Jocelyn, who's our production intern. Uh, she was shadowing me because she was going through um, the directing portion of that internship. So she was shadowing me as the director. Um, and then Spacey was watching our stuff at the restaurant where we left it. Because <laughs> in Orlando, if you only have three people on set, you don't need a permit. So if you have a camera and two people, you're good. So it was like me and Jocelyn and an actress or me and two, like we tried to like break it up. Um, maybe we had Jocelyn standing like 20 feet away or yeah. like, you know, kind of like standing nearby, but like, so we not with you, but the... with you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, or there was times where it was literally just me and the actress, like just the two of us on a camera. And that was it. I styled it, did their hair and makeup. Uh, Jocelyn helped with like a base makeup coat. And then I did the like blurry mascara and the like, you know, messed them up to make them look all depressed <laughs> and um, styled their wardrobe. And we really wanted the two characters to look a certain way. So what they were wearing was really important. And um, uh, like where, like I did the location scouting with my husband the day before we kind of found like where we wanted to tell the story. Originally it was going to be with a car but then we realized there were these train tracks, these like active train tracks right in the middle of the city. And that trains go by like constantly. And I was like, what if it was a train instead of a car? Like, how crazy would that be? Nice. My husband was like, how safe would that be? And I was <laughs> like, I could cheat it. We could totally make it safe. And we did. Like the actresses were nowhere near. Like there was an entire train track and then the train and there was like a fence. Like we were really, really safe about it. And there's this one really cool shot of an actress like walking on the tracks and it looks like she's in this like desolate town. She's literally like six inches away from the crosswalk. Oh like, my God. We just framed it. And it was like cleared for pedestrian crossing. So we just, you know, and um, it, it was, it was really wild, but yeah, that's the first film that I like produced, cast, wrote, directed, shot, edited, um, Space and I did our tag team edit where like I did an edit and then he did a pass and I went back and kind of like finished it um, and he definitely made a couple of cuts where I was like oh, I wouldn't have thought of that that's brilliant um, so we're uh, definitely co-editors on that but it was really surreal and it's no dialogue so it's just very sort of like emotional and like the like kind of feeling of it so all story based and, not, um, not dialogue based yeah, I didn't know what to expect. I just I I wanted to try it and see what happened, and um, it. I was really proud of it when we finished, and then when the nominations came out, I was like, "Oh crap!" <laughs> <laughs> now it's real. Now it's serious. Yeah, I was like, Wait, well, so what, 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 "What What's the name of the project, and what what is the uh, like?" It's called roughly, Wrong Way. 
wrong way. And what, what is it roughly about? Uh, a woman wandering around the city trying to figure out how to kill herself. Wow. That's deep. <laughs> That's deep. So you wrote, yeah. you wrote the script too? Yeah. Wow. Is that one of the nominations so, is writing? Yep. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. Do, you, do you like kind of collaborate with Spacey on that or, or is that just. This it? one in specific, I wrote it completely. Um, I like might ask him questions. Like originally I wrote it. Um, it was a man and a woman. And then when I wrote the script and submitted it, I had flipped it to a woman and a man. And then when we did the auditions, uh, we were auditioning men and women. And then it really has nothing to do, like their gender doesn't have anything to do with it. And I just was seeing different things in the performances. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. Let's just see what this looks like. And when we did the final callbacks, I just paired them up however I wanted to. So like, you know, I'd have guys reading together. I'd have girls reading together. I'd flip it around. I'd have the guy reading for what was the woman part. I'd have the woman reading for what was the man part. And I ended up casting two women. Um, partially because uh, Stephen Lewis was one of the actors who was auditioning and I knew I was going to cast him in our uh, TIF film and didn't want to overuse like, him. Not, not that I didn't want to overuse him. Like he's amazing. I could cast him in everything. <laughs> I just didn't want, there's so many amazingly talented people. Like if there was another actor who could also do it, I wanted to give them the opportunity. Um, and he literally was getting cast as the lead in another film and it was a like a much bigger like dialogue like role it would have shown so, uh, his, his artistic skills a little bit more yeah yeah and um he would have been amazing in this like he could have been the lead the one the role that siobhan had um but i couldn't cast siobhan in the other role <laughs> um <laughs> just because of the way it was written yeah so um I mean, for anyone listening who's like, well, why couldn't it have been two women? Because the film is dedicated to my husband and it is about a husband. Uh. So I needed to <laughs> cast a husband. That is why. Um, we did just do a film actually where it was a 48-hour film project and Stephen was actually going to be in it. And he had um, a conflict because uh, he's in a play that was opening and he had a rehearsal and it just was too much at once. So we were like, great. Now it's mom and mom yeah <laughs> there we go because <laughs> we just happened to have other female actresses but we didn't have any other male actors and we were like all right so you know but for reflections the tif film um it specifically is about a husband and wife um uh and for wrong way we ended up casting siobhan who we've worked with her so many times and she's just so brilliant and so professional and like so boundless in her ability like she's been everything from like a mermaid to a undercover spy speaking French. Oh wow. Very like versatile. Mom in the kitchen. Yeah. Like she's so versatile. And, um, uh, but she went through and she auditioned just like everybody else did. She went through the callbacks just like everybody else did. Um, and then we paired her with Allison, um, who, uh, we'd never worked with before. Um, and honestly, when we came to the callbacks, I was like looking around the callback room and I was like, Allison, just so you know, no matter what happens, every single person in this room is a best actor or actress winner. Like ev all of the final callbacks were award-winning talent. Wow. And I said, so just know, cause I have no idea what's going to happen. I was like, just know that you've made it this far and you're like, you really stood out to us so far. And she was like, 
I'm sure she felt wow. pressure. I was trying to tell her like <laughs> to make her feel better, but I don't know if it worked. No pressure um, though. <laughs> no, no pressure. You're just, everybody else is an award winner. So, <laughs> um, and then her, um, on Saturday, she won best supporting actress. So now she is also an award-winning actress. Wow. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was really cool kind of putting that together and, um, seeing how it all, like, just the pieces kind of went like this. Cause like it started as a short story and then it became a script and then it became, yeah, let's like, talk about the production process. Like how, how long did it take from beginning to end? When, when was the, the idea kind of sparked and, and when did you actually start writing it? When did they announce the, the contest? <laughs> That's when it started. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you're like, okay, I'm going to write I, something for that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, apparently. And I don't know if everybody does or doesn't, but that's what you're supposed to do. Um, we, They said no dialogue. I was interested in trying it because no dialogue really isn't a genre. Like if you went on IMDb and looked up no dialogue films, that's not a silent film is usually what it is. But a silent film is just a film with no talking, with no audible dialogue. So you could have title cards. You could have people texting. You could have uh asl you could have um written notes like there's so many versions of non-audible dialogue um so that, that's the category wanted, that you wanted to go after is the, the i wanted to try the no dialogue thing because it just felt like one of my favorite production companies is pixar and i love their short films oh my god because yes. they're so powerful and there's no dialogue there's no they're universal. They require no dubbing, no translation. You can watch this film no matter who you are. Even like if you like are completely deaf and can't hear anything, even like just with the captions of the music, like you will still follow the story. Um, and with audio descriptions, you know, if you're visually impaired, like it, they're just such a high form of art, in my opinion. So I wanted to try that and see if I could take an idea and communicate a story without any speaking at all. Because we've done silent film before. Uh, we actually have had silent film twice for 48-hour film projects. Um, one of them got disqualified, apparently. Not officially, but the judge's feedback was, this doesn't look like you did it in 48 hours. And we were like, so like wait a minute <laughs> we were too good yeah what does that mean exactly <laughs> they said that it didn't look like we did it in 48 hours and i was like so you okay. you literally started writing the project 48 hours before it was due mm -hmm. and you did all the casting and everything like how how did how did you manage your time like <laughs> how did that work so um i don't know if you've ever seen like military drilling where they like do something and they do it faster and faster and faster mm -hmm. and faster and faster so that when they're doing it normal speed, it's a piece of cake. You don't have to think about it. Second so nature, for me, yeah, it's like muscle memory. almost. Exactly. For me, I love the 48 hour film projects and I think everyone should do them and do them over and over again and really actually commit yourself to doing them because, and then like try crazy things and see what happens. Um, after you've done a couple of them yeah. because you have to stop. You have to go. We need to get on set. The script is done. We need to be editing. We're done shooting. We need to submit it. We're done editing. You know, like you, and 
R48s are usually really ambitious. Um, I've only ever actually not turned it in on time once. And that was when I was basically producing and directing it by myself while I was supposed to be in New York with my family. So like Saturday morning, I was literally like at brunch with my family. I wasn't even like filming anything. <laughs> oh my God. And we filmed it. I filmed it around the world and had people like send me their footage. And then I had the VFX for it done. A friend of ours in Canada was doing it. So like I was collecting the footage and editing it and sending it to Canada who was sending it back to me. And we filmed in New York, Florida, California, New Zealand, and um, I think Nashville or something like that. And then we like, put all the footage together and then it was partially edited in Canada and then sent back to us. And I didn't quite make it in 48 hours. Oh no. <laughs> but um, we won the audience choice award, which was nice. Um, do they, do they still accept yeah, it even though it was, it was late? They'll screen it. You just aren't eligible for the contest. Cause that is like a full contest. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, the, uh, when you, for the one where the judges were like, no, you, you couldn't have done this. There was a misunderstanding in that. So the 48 gives you a key character, a key line of dialogue, a um, key prop, and a genre. So like every single film has to involve Billy Bob the dog walker and a matchbook. Like okay. everybody. It's kind and, of like throwing oh curveballs <laughs> at everybody. So it's I love watching the 48-hour screenings. It's one of my favorite like festival-type screenings to watch because every single film somewhere in the film is billy bob the dog walker and somewhere in the film is a matchbook and it's kind of like this fun sort of like where's waldo where's waldo to yeah see i was just gonna way, say like you're trying to right? find it as you're watching it that's cool and try and figure out like how did you know how did they use it and sometimes um for that one the prop was a spice we probably got a little too creative but we decided to use pepper spray Okay. As this, because it has pepper in it, right? Um, one team, oh, I, it was brilliant. They literally had a little jar and they taped a piece of paper to it and wrote spice. And I was <laughs> like, yes. And then it was supposed to be a former child actor. Somehow it got like telephoned to us, like someone on our team checked who then related to someone else and it, it ended up being a former child star. So I can understand that they were like, oh, you had this pre-written. But we decided to use a dancer who had lost her hearing in an accident and had to learn how to dance again. So my husband and I co-wrote it and we co-directed it. And I have a dance background and a best friend who she was hard of hearing at the time. Now she's deaf. And I asked her if she would like consult with us to do the ASL in the film. Um, and I uh, acted in it for one scene. And um, what we did is my husband went and was shooting part of the film while I was choreographing with one of the dancers during like that same morning, because what we wanted to do is we had these two sisters who were both dancers. So we decided that the film was going to end with her finally dancing again. And there'd be like a shadow self behind her dancing. So I was teaching the choreography to the younger sister while the older sister was filming all of her like other scenes and then um, uh, the younger sister taught the older sister um, the dance while we were like setting up another scene. And then we filmed uh, a couple things and then we shot the like final dance scene and then we ended it, edited it all together. And 
it's still people have said it's like one of their favorite films of ours like it's definitely not flawless we literally did it in 48 hours that's wild. but um it was really 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 awesome and just like for that one though there was sign language because in a silent film you're allowed to talk and in the 48s uh they require a line of dialogue so somebody has to say a certain line and in this one it was no way absolutely no way so what we that did was, was we had the girl that was the line okay so we had the girl like she's at like this pool hall place and this guy bumps into her and he recognizes her as this famous dancer and he's deaf and he signs to her no way absolutely no way like he can't believe it's her but the thing is she was someone who didn't get exposed to deaf culture doesn't know sign language doesn't and she kind of like just looks at him like what and then they like text he he like writes um a text to her on his phone and like shows her and then she reads it and like writes back so that they're able to talk and we showed their conversation and then he brings her to a dance teacher who's familiar with working with deaf dancers and um the dance teacher like starts to sign and he's like no she doesn't know how to sign she's like okay so um they do the talking on their phone again where it's like typing like little text docs like you know and then um there's like this whole scene where she's like trying to learn how to dance um and she just gets really frustrated and um then the teacher like helps her like like she takes off her shoes and socks and turns on the volume really really loud and like puts the speakers like against the floor so she can feel the vibrations and like helps her kind of like find that piece of her again and then it ends with her dancing outside um and then there's like her shadow self dancing behind her so i really love it um it was one of my husband's first times taking the lead as a director okay um and I was really proud of us. And something like that, like, when would I have come up with that story? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, it's Unless so you're random. under this pressure cooker, that, that mm -hmm. story probably would have never made it out. Yeah. Absolutely not. Um, and I, I mean, you, you know what I love is, the, I know last time we had the conversation about inclusivity and, and uh, uh, accessibility and things with the, the Oscars stage and things like that. And I, I love that you oh, yeah. included the ASL in, in your film because I, it, the, what was it this past year or the year before that the, the Netflix, uh, movie won? Coda. Yes. Coda. Apple plus. It's yeah. one of my favorite or movies. Apple, whatever it is. is that what it is? I, I thought it was Netflix. I think it's on Apple. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that was one of my favorite moments of the Oscars is when, you know, they actually had inclusivity, you know, in, in not only the nominations, but also, you know, on stage, they had a translator for them and, Oh my God. It was, it was such an amazing moment. What, what did you think about that? Um, obviously I loved it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, um, and I will say just for what it's worth, the only reason we cast hearing actors to play the deaf characters was because it was literally a 48 hour film project. And we literally had a deaf person as part of our team, like consulting and watching and checking and, you know, making sure in a perfect world, that would be cast properly. It was just kind of like, we have a silent film. We have the opportunity to tell the story. Yeah, Let's do what just you gotta do, do it. Yeah. Yeah. And if I were ever to like make a spinoff on that or produce anything beyond that, it would 1000% be cast with actual deaf, deaf actors and yeah. actresses and dancers. And yeah, but no Coda. Um, we actually had the honor of watching it at Sundance that year uh, nice. when it premiered. And it, uh, I guess we saw it virtually because I think that was one of the, yeah, it was a virtual Sundance that year. So I really love um, Sean, the writer director of that. 
she did another movie at Sundance several years ago called Mother. Um, that is a truly amazing film as well. Um, and then when we saw Coda, it was just so good. And then when it started like getting all of these like accolades and there's like no words, like, all right, politics of, and like community aside, um, the film itself, the fact that there was, you know, authentic casting, that there was inclusivity on set. It wasn't just like a, oh, here, you're the deaf person or whatever. It was like, oh, you're the actress. Oh, you're the, like, it was about telling the story and about the characters. And the fact that, like you said, they had the interpreters there, they allowed everyone to like speak for themselves. Um, it just shows you how easy it is. You know, you know, it, yeah. you want to tell a story like that, tell a story like that. You know, if you're deaf or hard of hearing, make a movie like the, it's, it's okay. And it, it just kind of like, I feel like it opened a lot of doors and um, I've definitely seen a lot of things happening in the film community following that, that I think are really incredible. So um, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I actually wanted to talk to you about the whole indie filmmaking route versus the Hollywood route. I know we're, we're going through a writer strike and a Hollywood strike and all that stuff. I, I'm guessing you guys weren't affected by that because you guys are independent. So we're very affected by that. Oh, really? Um, anyone selling anything right now to a studio is crossing a strike line. Wow. And if you hear people going, oh, but it's an independent, that's why we're selling it to Netflix. No, you're a scab and you're crossing a strike line and you suck. Wow. Um, sorry. Um, the way the strikes affected us mostly is in that department. Because otherwise, yes, we are completely disassociated. We have nothing to do with the AMPDP. So many of our projects are actually non-union. So it's not like where... So you can still find actors, basically. Yeah, well, if we want to use a SAG actor, we would have to use a SAG waiver. But the thing is, SAG is giving waivers to independent filmmakers. Um, Nick, one of our partners, is actually a member of the Writers Guild. And he's oh. very much on strike right now. Oh. And... Um, I have had a couple people ask me like, you know, oh, could you help with pre-sales or do you know anyone who does this? Or like, oh, do you have any projects that are ready for distribution? And I'm like, read the room. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> By distributing too. Unless you're going to pull a Taylor Swift and go directly to the theaters, which is what I think people should be doing anyway. You're violating the strikes and you're making it, you're disempowering both SAG and the Writers Guild. And if you think as an independent person who has no thoughts of ever joining those unions i mean i personally don't i'm not ever going to be a sag actor actress excuse me um and i'm most likely never going to join the writers guild i don't know that i'm ever going to join the dga like it just depends on what projects i want to work on and in what ways if the streaming platforms continue this sort of business model as they have it i mean yeah, because they have, we have, they have a, it so that you can submit it right to streaming platforms, right? You don't have to go through a distribution. And, you don't have to go through distribution. But the thing is, the distributors aren't the problem. The platforms are the problem. Really? That's who. Yeah. So the AMPTP is like Netflix, Amazon, Paramount Plus, HBO Max, uh, Disney Plus, like all of those studios that control the, I'm trying to think how to like not turn this into like a <laughs> film distribution <laughs> masterclass. Um, so like, okay, I read this article after um, 
I'm sure you know about the Taylor Swift eras film that's yeah. premiering on October 13th, Friday the 13th, like a nice. freaking queen. Um, <laughs> I love her. <laughs> so, oh my gosh. So there's usually three parties involved in a film, the production company, the distribution company, and the streaming, whatever platform place. So I make a movie I give it to the distributor who then sells it to the platform, whatever that is. Um, you have companies like Disney where like Disney owns Pixar. So Pixar makes a movie, Disney distributes it on Disney plus. It's one, two, three. Um, right. <laughs> or uh, I make a movie, I sell it to Sony pictures or I partner with Sony pictures who then gets me a distribution deal at AMC theaters and it plays in all the theaters. Um and then part of the problem is like opening weekend, I think it's a 50-50 split on the ticket sales between the distributor and the theater, if I remember that correctly. And then, so if it makes $20 million opening weekend, $10 million goes to the distributor. And then the distributor decides how much of that they're going to say is their expenses. And then they give me whatever is left. Whatever is left. And then 50% yeah. of what's left has to go to the investors if it's a normal distribution deal or a normal investment deal, excuse me. And then 50% of that then goes to production to then use to keep production's lights on and also to pay anybody who worked on it. So if I'm going to give residuals to a writer, it's coming out of that drip at the end of the waterfall, basically. And it's a little absurd to think about a $100 million movie giving somebody $5, like... We have um, a film that I just found out. It's kind of a long story, but um, I was at a friend's house and apparently our film is on Tubi. And we were like, how is our film on Tubi? That's cool, but we didn't realize it was there. Turns out a really old distribution setup we had years ago, totally forgot about, didn't know anything had happened with it. Um, The film's been distributed to 85 different countries and streamed... uh, on something like 30 different platforms no way. for the last like three years. Wow. Do you get royalties from any of that? Or is it just like a one done? That's what I was about to say. Do you want to know how much royalties we got for all that? A couple bucks. <laughs> $15. <laughs> nice. Nice. It's totally worth it. Right? 85 countries, 30 platforms, 15, <laughs> 15 bucks, bucks in three years. That's $5 a year. That's wild. Do they show you like the analytics and, and like how mm-hmm. many people actually watched it and stuff? So like, what yeah. is it per watch or, or is that even? Zero, they... zero, zero, one cent. Gotcha. It's kind of like, uh, like a Spotify kind of thing where mm-hmm. they pay you like, you know, Nothing. Penny, like a half a penny or whatever it is. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's wild. So, um, someone said to me, I don't know if this is true or not, but a friend asked me, um, he goes, do they do that? Because if they paid, everybody fairly they'd have to pay people like taylor swift a hundred million dollars for her streams like if a stream was worth a dollar they'd be paying her a billion dollars versus the other artists who would be paid a hundred dollars like is that the thing they're trying to keep like great on the curve and keep the curve so low that it prevents the top levels from making too much money so that the bottom levels are making like nothing i don't know if that's the case i just know that it's absolutely like the head of a company shouldn't be on a yacht while the people doing the work that make the money to pay that yacht can't pay their rent like yeah, that they don't have a car yeah they're struggling yeah. themselves and you know i will be open i am not 
a socialist or a communist. Um, I definitely believe in meritocracy, like valid meritocracy. But that means that like everybody is treated fairly for their contributions and their work. And if you're helping a company make $50 billion a year, your own personal lifestyle should reflect that. <laughs> like, yeah, I agree. Even if you're the dude sweeping the floor so that the CEO doesn't have to trip and slip in the morning because the floor was dirty. Like if you're a part of that and if they're at that level, then you should be living comfortably if you're working at that company. And the strikes right now are fighting for that. And I don't think people realize how serious it is and how what the standards are that will be set once these negotiations go through or don't go through. And um, that's without even touching the whole AI thing, which is like a whole I was just about to ask you. Yeah, I was just about to ask you about that. Like that that's one of the things that they're fighting too, is the AI, the likeness and and how they're trying to use AI to write the script so the writers are are mad. Like can you explain a little bit of what that what what they're fighting there? So there's two sides to it. One, AI is a computer program. It has no imagination and no actual learning ability. It cannot like it's only like as good as what it, you feed it, right? It's only as good mm -hmm. as the the source material that you're that it's learning from, right? Literally exactly that. And it's not actually learning. It's mm -hmm. just replicating and regurgitating what it's processed. If you took a human being with amnesia and like drop them in the middle of somewhere, there are things they would figure out. They would have ideas. They would start to like, you know, there's something about a human being and their imagination and their life spark or whatever you want to call it that is different from a machine. In order for an AI program to operate, it has to be trained, quote unquote. And the way it's trained is by absorbing things created by humans. When it then writes something off of that training, in quotes, it is basically using that work. Like if I took your podcast and I watched every episode of your podcast and I listened to all the information and then I put together a training program to teach people filmmaking using your podcast, that is like plagiarism at best. Yeah, really. <laughs> and you could come after me and you could be like, dude, that's literally my work. That is what I you know, came up with. And you know, if I look at your podcast and I go, oh, that's so cool. I should have a podcast. And then I go make a podcast by myself. That's me using my own like brain and mind to generate that topic. And if I'm speaking from my experiences, an AI doesn't have experiences. An AI has never fallen in love or given birth or, you know, made a friend. <laughs> like, and it might use words like I or me, but there is no I or me. Right. It's just a computer program. Until the point that AI becomes actually sentient, which is like a whole other conversation, um, it's currently still a machine. And if AI is given IP rights like a human, it needs to be treated like a human, meaning plagiarism is illegal. And it can't just be like, oh, here, um, this AI generated a script. Now you, editor, I'm going to pay you 100 bucks to edit it and just make it better like a copy editor not a film editor but um, or even a thousand bucks but if it's indistinguishable from the original work like you cannot tell the difference between the source of this training and, and ai it's still 
because you can make the argument that humans do the same thing. Like the, the, what I write today is an amalgamation of all of the experiences that I've had in my life. Except it's experiences you've had. It's not experiences you've read about somebody else having. Right, right. It's your experiences. You are speaking from your voice and your perspective and only you can do that. And if you do it and if I do it and if someone in Vietnam does it and if someone in Madagascar does it, it's going to be completely different because we are different people with our own experiences, our own upbringings, our own thoughts, our own perspectives, our own ability to like compute information from our lived experiences and we're going to see things our way. And someone could argue, well, you could program an AI to be a little bit different, but you're still basing that programming off of someone else or off of something else. Of um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt wrote a really great op-ed piece that uh, you can look up um, about the fact that if AI is going to use your work, you should get paid. Plain and simple. You want to use AI? Great. Use it, but pay people fairly. And what he also brought up is a really good point, which is it might be the writers and actors on strike right now. But what happens when it's a doctor and medical records are being used and all of that doctor's years they spent in med school and treating their patients and learning and trying to understand these diseases and it just gets dumped into an AI and now AIs are diagnosing people and the doctors aren't needed anymore. You could argue, oh, well, wouldn't that be so much better for science? AI can't be biased. Literally, one of the first problems with AI was how inherently racist and biased it was automatically. Yeah, and that, that's, that is one thing I, I did notice is that the, the biases that we see in AI are literally just a reflection of our own biases. They're biases in the, in the training materials that we're feeding it. So it's kind of like it's reflecting on us. On the biases is that- it though? Because I've had a big argument with someone about this where I said, couldn't you program the AI to not be like that way easier than you could program a human? Like you literally could tell the AI if it says generate a, an image of a doctor and you're writing the code, the if this, then that lines of mm-hmm. code. If you say generate an image of a doctor and it generates images of white men, because if you Google photos of doctors, you're going to get way more white men than anything else. Yeah. You could tell the AI if you get this request, lean towards alternate nationalities, alternate skin tones, alternate ages, alternate genders. And you could literally tell the AI, if somebody asks you for this, give them this. They could have the option of a white man because there are white male doctors, but that's literally one line of code. But you would have to, you would have to do that though. That's a thing that you would have to do. It takes two seconds. No, I, I know I totally get that, (laughs) but the, the bias is in the source material, which we're feeding it. So it's like, the biases are ours. Like we are, we are the ones with the unknown biases that the, the, then the AI takes it and be like, okay, here, here's the pattern. You know, you, you, you favor Amazon did the same thing. Amazon uh, tried to uh, incorporate AI in their hiring process. And they noticed that not only was it hiring more white people, it was also hiring more males than females. And that's just, you know, it's a bias that, whether it's known or unknown, it was already in yeah. the process in, in the, in the data that they fed it. So that's what the computer sees, you know, like these guys don't hire black people and these guys don't hire women. So that's, you know, that's what we're going to do. That's what the AI is going to do. So it, it's only as good as the, the, what you feed it. And I, I think, yes, you, you can fix it after the fact, but the biases are there. Like you have to correct and that's for a the whole- bias. Yeah, that's a whole much, much larger humanitarian conversation that I think also 
is a little bit slanted just by, like you said, the source material. Mm -hmm. Like in the 1950s, doctors were largely white men. We have an internet and a database and cameras taking photos that started around the 1860s-ish as far as like really heavy documenting uh, photography. Civil War was the first actually like photographed war. So you have a hundred years of data that is going to affect what the AI is seeing. And again, it, it's that that I think is a much larger conversation than something I'm going to speak to as a filmmaker. Yeah, no. um, but I think, you know, it literally, if somebody's really that concerned about it, it takes two seconds, not really two seconds, but it literally just takes a line of code that says, if you get asked for this, make sure you include this when you are answering that question. If you get asked for this, make sure you include this. Um, I know a lawyer who was just curious and went to use ChatGPT just from a legal side. They were like, how is this going to affect law? And they asked ChatGPT a question, just basic, and ChatGPT was wrong. Completely and they were wrong. like, but that's not the law. Yeah. And ChatGPT. Yeah, it was, it was, I, I think I saw that. It was quoting, uh, you know, laws that didn't exist, cases that had never been tried before. It was like, it was just making up stuff. And when the lawyer asked it, it would not say that it was wrong. It literally would not say I am wrong or yeah. this is wrong. No, because it's not it sentient. Like it. you said, it's not really processing the information. The way that I that I, the way that I think of ChatGPT is like autocorrect on steroids. It's literally just taking already made works and just kind of you know uh, predicting what word yeah. you want to see next. Basically, one thing like you know Joe pointed out in his article where he mentioned like you know and then doctors and yes. Having an unbiased, unemotional, very scientific and flat medical professional could be a great thing, except we've all seen iRobot. <laughs> and we all know <laughs> that when being given the immediate vital signs, the robot saved Will Smith instead of saving a little girl. And no human being would ever do that. They would never leave a child to die. Even if Will had a greater chance of survival, they would have tried to save the child. And the, the robot didn't even try. Yeah. And that empathy, that humanity, even if it's programmed to almost perfection, there's a level of sentience that needs to be involved that, in my personal opinion, goes beyond programming. And um, You think we'll you know, eventually we see want, sentient? You see, well, yeah, I, I think so. You know... I've seen, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, I'm a storyteller, I live in a world of imagination. I've <laughs> yes. seen The Matrix, I've seen iRobot, I've seen, you know, The Terminator. I've, it's gonna, we're either going in one of two directions <laughs> here. Like, this conversation is going to come up somewhere centuries from now For as sure. one of the humans that was like, you know, and, you know, either we'll end up, I personally think that AI is a massive, massive, massive tool that could elevate humanity on the level of the discovery of not the discovery of fire, but the harnessing of the power of fire. I agree. But it has to be done ethically and it has to be done conscientiously and it has to be done equitably because like, you know, for me, if I'm struggling with how to word something and I go to ChatGPT and I go, how would a man say this? And <laughs> I drop it into ChatGPT and it spits back out something to me. And I look at it and I go, huh? Yeah, I would never say it like that. Yeah. <laughs> but as a human, I can process it and go, I see the more like determined and definite language 
Whereas I didn't even realize as a woman how like, I don't even know if it's as a woman, just as, as me, how like hesitant or sort of equivocal I can be, if that's a word. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I see that and I go, okay, how can I do this in my voice where I'm a little bit more firm, I'm a little bit more decisive, I'm a little bit more direct while still keeping my own personal level of empathy and humanity and kindness because I don't want to be rude, but I do need to put my foot down on this matter. So I can look at that. So you're, you're in the same camp as me in the sense that you, you see it as a huge tool, not necessarily like write me a script and then go out and shoot that exact script, but use it as, you know, to spark ideas, to, you know, change the tone of something or to see something from a different perspective without actually going out and talking to that, you know, that person. And it, you know, is that a good thing? I mean, sometimes I'll have my husband read over an email and I'll look at it and be like, don't, don't say that. You sound really weak. (laughs) Or he'll be like, like, you can believe you can be more certain, be more proud of yourself, be more like whatever. And, um, I think the difference is I'm not going to use AI to replace a human being And I'm not going to use AI to increase my profit margin so that I personally can make more money while cutting out somebody I should have hired. Like I keep seeing all these marketing people that are like, you don't need to hire a marketing person, hire an AI expert. They'll help you so that you can just do it all with AI and you don't actually need a human. And I'm like, I guarantee you, AI would have never written the script for everything everywhere all at once. They would have never greenlit two rocks sitting on screen while words (laughs) typed. Oh, I love it. Literally never would have happened. Like if, if you fed it the algorithm of successful movies, it would laugh in your face. Yeah, no. And it would be like, no, no, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. (laughs) Because that's never existed before. So that that is not even a part of the training uh, material. Exactly. Yeah. And if you're a big studio and you're going to use that to write a script so that you're not hiring a writer, I strongly doubt that those big studios are then going to go, oh, well, we made this movie for $20,000. So ticket sales for this film are 50 cents. They're, They're going to say, yeah. <laughs> and that's what, that's where, the, that's where the problem comes in. If it's when it's it lowers the, the overhead by exploiting people mm-hmm. for the purpose of increasing profit, that is where for me, that's where I draw the line. If you, you know, you're having a problem coming up with a caption for your podcast and you say, can you help me write something that's this, this, and this? And, you know, you're making the podcast out of your pocket. You're providing it as this incredible resource for people to use, to grow as filmmakers, to learn. They're not paying you for it. You're not necessarily profiting off of this massively. I mean, you're not out living on a yacht. Yeah, um, no. And and you don't have $100 to pay someone or even $50 to pay someone to be like, can you write my content for me? And you use that as a tool to help yourself for something that you would have done yourself. The only place that could go into a dark place is if you then stop thinking for yourself and you don't learn off of what the AI is telling you. And if the AI gives you ideas and gives you ideas and gives you ideas... And you then don't go after a couple times of doing that. Okay, now I can kind of start to come up with my ideas. I'm going to make a very sharp left turn, but it kind of starts to hit the level of pornography. And it becomes something where you can get something without having to give anything. And it doesn't, it disconnects you 
from any sort of emotional growth or personal growth or I know there's like so many people that have like all these protests about like, but there's nothing wrong with porn. Um, there's so <laughs> many studies about how addicting it is, how much it hurts actual human connections. And I can see the poll quote now, if I ever get famous, they're going to be like, Cora Linda equates AI to porn. <laughs> they're going to clip from <laughs> <I> this podcast. <laughs> right? Yeah. Someone's going to be like trying to like cancel me. Um, I, anything that removes your own humanity and disconnects you from talking to people, having, having something where you need to invest yourself, where you need to be involved. And I'm not talking about somebody who is using a tool because they either are emotionally or cognitively limited and need that support. I'm talking about the vast majority of humanity who is completely capable of connecting with each other, of learning, of growing, of using their imagination, using their mind, like humans have so much they can do. And if they're just turned into these like Wally characters floating on blimps, like whatever those big chair things yeah. were. Yeah. Yeah. Cause everything's been externalized from each other. Yeah. Yeah. Where you're not even having human to human, you know, connection anymore. And that's not to say that like, on screen is like terrible. Like here we are recording a podcast through a screen. That's great. Yeah, right. But it's this isn't my only interaction with humanity. <laughs> so too long didn't read. I think AI is potentially a very powerful tool if it's used as a tool and not as the person wielding the tool. I think that if you're going to use it to lower overhead to raise, to profits, raise profits and you don't then pass that save savings on to the people who are then paying you, um, you're, you're doing it wrong. And I, I'm very worried about the future of humanity if we disconnect ourselves, if we stop thinking, if we stop creating, if we stop innovating, because every single thing in this world that exists that's new exists because like you said, it didn't exist before. And yeah. somebody came up with that idea. And if you take that away, then like, what are we? Like, yeah, yeah, we're just people who are really good at using tools <laughs> at that point. When we become robots. Yeah. Well, one of the things that the, the, the writer strike is, is kind of hitting upon too. And, and I want to get your opinion on this is, uh, how the studios want to record the person's likeness and then use that, you know, in CG or whatever, and, and also their voice. So they can completely replace that I don't agree with. They can completely replace the actor while still using their likeness and not having to pay the royalties. I, I don't agree with that. If an actor wants to do that and be paid royalties, if you're going to pay royalties, absolutely. It. But at least, like it's like you said, yeah. like you can use me, but compensate me. Be fair. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't know. I oh, I struggle with this so much. Like I joke around that I'm the lowest paid person at my company, but it's true. <laughs> um, I make the least amount of money per hour because I know that I can't do what I do without my team. And they're all here supporting me in my dream. Like this is, this is a company that I came up with. They all could choose, even my husband, if he wanted to, he could be like, you know, it's been fun. I'm going to go get an office job. I need that. Yeah. But yeah. Like he could do that. I would die but it's fine <laughs> um, but like it is okay to be a part of making someone else's dream come true there isn't like a single person in this world that can exist by themselves without people around them supporting them in some way 
you have to be equitable to the people that are making that happen. When you have, like, you know, if the studio wants to make movies with Harrison Ford for the next 700 years and pay his great, 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 great grandchildren royalties <laughs> for Indiana Jones 76, you know, like, great, you know, but A, Harrison Ford has to be okay with that. Mm -hmm. And B, you have to pay his great, 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 great grandchildren because estate, yeah. that you're profiting off of it. Mm -hmm. And this is an argument that I have all the time with people who are like, talk about making like no budget films or like, I didn't have any money. It is so easy to expense everything. Oops. Yeah. Didn't have any money. And I remember I was working for a producer once, the guy was shady as a forest. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, I like turned in my accounting um, for something I had done that the production had paid for. And like, you know, Spacey and I ate Chipotle. And then like the next day we ate leftover Chipotle because we were, we're used to living on a budget. And just because production was paying for it didn't mean that we're going to like, you know, some steakhouse we literally got like a chipotle bowl for dinner and then ate half of it and ate the other half for breakfast because anybody who isn't rich knows that that's a <laughs> total life hack <laughs> um, and later i was out with the with the producer and they like made a joke that made me feel really like just like ashamed of myself they were like it's okay to like get like you can go buy breakfast, like you don't have to eat leftovers. And I was like, but why? But why? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like it's like a I know mindset. how much money this project doesn't have yet. You have people working for you for free right now, including me. And I'm thankful that you're covering my food for this trip, but I'm not going to like, Abuse like it. if we have that much money, why aren't we paying people? Yeah. Like the priorities are like it, all out of whack. Yeah. And that to me, like, People need to be paid fairly, and that is something I'm working on for myself because I am included in people. <laughs> but um, there are so many projects that we've done where, like, you know, we do an OIF. Obviously, we're not paying people to do an OIF. Uh, the 48s, it's actually a rule. You're not allowed to um, be paid because then somebody comes in with a million dollars and wins, and that's yeah. not fair. When we do a client project, we pay commensurate to what we are paid. Like, we did one where... Like after we paid everybody, I was like, oops, because <laughs> I forgot to budget me and Spacey and Spacey was like. <laughs> so you paid everybody but yourselves. Well, we got paid. But I think we got paid like $3 an hour. <laughs> like, what it, like, yay being an owner. So minimum wage laws don't apply. <laughs> but um, it was, we were like, all right, let's not do that again. <laughs> let's like figure that out. But um, if you have access to a hundred million dollars, you don't need a hundred million dollars like you just you don't yeah no you you, you don't and it's like you're, and I'm you're not proof of that, that you know <laughs> like some of the projects Literally. that you've made are like no budget so and if you you know if you work hard and you earn you know i have friends that are very wealthy they work really hard and i know how hard they work um i was a personal assistant once um an executive assistant uh i guess because it was more like work related not like I got him coffee a couple of times, but it was mostly like organizing and like doing things in the office and like just keeping like his day on track. And literally the guy was a solid one percenter, like 100% as far as income bracket goes. This is a man who had like a lounge area in his office 
for things like so his kids could come have dinner with him while he was still in the office working. Wow. My starting salary there many years ago, um, when gas was, I think, like $2 a gallon before it went up and then went down again. Yeah. Um, then it went back up again. Um, I basically made my entire rent in a week, like my month's rent in a week. And everything, then that was my starting. Like, I like I did a training period at like minimum wage, a little bit above minimum wage, just because that's what they do for like a couple of weeks. And then they bumped me up. And I was literally making more than rent each week. And I was one of the lowest paid people at my level because I was new. Nice. And my next raise was going to bump me up to just under one and a half times my rent for the week each week or my rent for the month excuse me each week and everybody the men the women like everybody at that company was comfortable like they were making his executives were very well paid and i saw how hard he worked every minute to make sure and it, it was stressful to him like if if the company wasn't making money he would be worried because his job is to provide employment for people and yeah, to like, like provide people these are services depending on you and, and your company for sustenance, basically, you know, literally. <laughs> and people don't get that about the film, the industry part of the film industry. If you want to make a film, that's a passion project and you love it. And you, <laughs> I'm like, I just realized this is going out as like a public podcast. And some of these are very <laughs> strong opinions, <laughs> um, but like, if you want to make something that's like your your passion, basically, and you're like, you just want to do it and it is a story the world needs to see and you have people who want to come together and do it with you and they just want to do it for the sake of making the art, not everything has to be for profit. You know, I like baking. I don't sell the cookies I make. I might make, <laughs> you know, I love... I love making jam. I'm like, I'm weird. Um, And (laughs) nothing makes me happier than like giving someone like a jar of jam. And I literally, so there's like this farm stand uh, near where I used to live. And they asked me like if I would make them jam, like for them to sell. And my God, I was miserable. It was awful. I was like, this isn't fun anymore. I don't. Yeah. Now it becomes a job. Like now you have to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've only made jam like a couple times since then. Like I was like traumatized, but (laughs) It's okay to do something because it makes you happy. It makes people happy. You want to do that? You want to make a movie? You're not paying anybody? You're not profiting off of it? Great. Let's do it. But if you make that movie and then somebody sees it and it ends up on Netflix and you make $50 million, you better go back to those people and pay them. And if you have plans to sell it, there better be clauses in every single person's contract that say, if this makes the profit, we will pay you more. And, you know you should totally have the right where if they completely screw you over and you get the project done in spite of them, not because of them, that you don't have to pay them any more money if you already paid them something up front. But if you have people... Yeah, it's common decency. Like, these people made the project that made you this much money. It's like you couldn't have done it without them. Exactly. And, you know, we have um, interns that are college students. They are literally in college right now in class learning. We don't pay them because I spend hours and hours and hours with them, training them, giving them 
like experience, like teaching them things, giving them hands-on opportunities. Um, several of our interns have gotten associate producer credit on some of our projects. So they're literally coming out of college with like an IMDb page that's like stacked nice. with like Heck award-winning yeah. films that they were a part of. And that that is valuable. Like, you know, if Steven Spielberg or Catherine Hardwick, or oh my God, Greta Gerwig wanted me to be on set with them and they were like, you can shadow me, but we don't have a budget. I'd want to know why they didn't have a budget. But if they legitimately <laughs> didn't have a budget for real and they wanted to do an independent film and I had the opportunity to shadow them, what I'm going to learn from them is so valuable. It's invali- I would yeah. totally do it. Absolutely. Because that's still exchange. It doesn't have to be cash. It can still be some form of value exchange. And the strikes, the AI, all of that, the issue comes down to where it stops being equitable and it stops being fair to the people involved. And as soon as you start taking advantage of people, as soon as you start not paying them fairly, as soon as you start profiting without exchanging, you're being a poo-poo head. Yeah. And that's, that's the power of, that's the power of a union Mm -hmm. is that you can't, you, you can have a little bit of power in the negotiation table, not, you know, they they can't just run all over you. Like, you know, companies usually do with employees. And it's also the power of being in power. Taylor Swift just literally flipped the table on the entire thing. And I started mentioning those three things. So what she did is she skipped the distributor and she went straight to AMC. And she got a waiver from SAG for the film, apparently, and produced it. And she started talking to the companies. Apparently, this is all, I obviously was not in the room for any of these conversations. And I am a random opinionated observer. (laughs) Apparently, they were like, the studios were saying things like, release it in 2025. After the tour is over, just all these different things. And she was just like, no, no, I don't want to do that. I want to do it now. And she was, she was right not to do that. And she literally took Friday the 13th in October. And I know of at least two films that moved their release dates because Because of of that. Like there was a horror film being released by universal pictures on Friday the 13th. Wow. And it got bumped because they're not stupid. They're not going to release it on Friday the 13th. Yeah. Nobody's going to go. You're going to compete Everything. against Taylor Swift. Come on. <laughs> and then her pre-sales, like the first day of pre-sales, the world record was something like $16 million for Spider-Man No Way Home, which is one of the most like anticipated movies of like the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. $16 million in pre-sales. Wow. Taylor Swift. $26 million in pre-sales. She wrecked it. The first day. The first day. Like that movie is going to make a billion dollars. Yeah, easy. And she did it fairly. She did it equitably. She did it through directly to theaters and then used an independent distributor for other distribution. And it's just the power of, of not agreeing and yeah. not just going, oh, okay. Yeah, it is because you're she's now bigger than the studios themselves. <laughs> so she is. Yeah, um, seriously. But the truth of and the matter is, it sucks that it, it takes that to to kind of open people's eyes to like you know you don't have to do it you know the traditional way and and be you know hostage to these studios that are raping you basically monetarily. She she did the same thing with music, right? Like she she didn't have rights to like one of her albums or something, so she's like. Screw you. I'm going to go, you know, redo my songs and I'm going to re-release them to the world. And now they're going to be mine. And she made a billion bucks, you know, (laughs) I love her. She's And she released two new albums in the middle of doing that. And she's releasing albums while on tour. And 
She's changed quite a few industries because uh, the the whole Spotify thing. I don't know if you remember that. She wouldn't even mm-hmm. put her stuff on Spotify because of how unfair they were. So she changed that industry, and now she's changing the movie industry. And it's like the music tour industry, tourism industry. Yeah, like she's revitalizing every town she goes to. People might be like, ah, oh, traffic, ah, oh, noise, ah, oh, wow. But see it's the bigger kind of picture. Like when, when people complain about Sundance and they're like, oh, it's just, it's so annoying for like two weeks. It's like all these people here and it gets so crazy. I forget what the numbers are, but I think Salt Lake City, sorry, not Salt Lake City, like Utah, specifically Park City and, and Salt Lake City, but like those areas, they make something like $50 million in taxes those weeks or like in money into the community, wow. like in t- in 10 days. like Because of Sundance. Just just because of Sundance. And it's kind of like, you know, yeah, the traffic's annoying. I'm annoyed by it. I don't even live there. Yeah. Like it's, <laughs> it's crowded. Getting into your favorite restaurant takes forever and you might not even be able to get a table. And they jack the prices up everywhere because of tourists. But the amount of money that goes into that community, that's that community's that money. Stays. That, that yeah. money. Yeah. It fixes roads. It pays for schools. It pays for libraries. It pays like it goes into the community and Yes, Taylor Swift being in town for two days is probably very traumatic. Very on disruptive. A lot of levels. Yeah. <laughs> like, but at the same time, like towns are seeing pre COVID level tourism, hotels are being booked out, like the jobs to support that are like blowing up. And she's also doing it. I just saw this today and I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even realize she's only performing on the weekends, which means her crew gets to rest during the week. And she also has, I mean, I'm sure they're working, but it's not like, I mean, she gets to rest too. Yeah. My God, that three hour tour, that three hour show is intense. Yeah. But she also has so many, the reason she has so many truckers with her is they're leapfrogging. They're getting one venue set up while she's doing a show. And then the trucks with her leapfrog to the next. And then the like, so they have this and whoever's orchestrating this from like the production side is just brilliant. Yeah, it's brilliant. But it means people are being safe. It means people are resting. It means like she's doing it right. There was, I don't know if this is true or not, but allegedly there was a conversation she had with David Letterman where David Letterman cracked a joke about uh, backup musicians not having health insurance. And he said something about backup musicians. And he was like, yeah, it's not like they have insurance. And apparently Taylor Swift just looked very confused. And she said, mine do. Oh. <laughs> and in that I gotta, moment. I got to look at that. I got to look that up. Right? I don't know if it's true or not, but apparently I like was reading it in some article. Um, if it isn't true, the lesson that comes from it is what do we accept without questioning that we shouldn't? Like, wait, backup music, they don't have insurance? Why not? Like, shouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, they're part why of the shouldn't, crew. Why wouldn't they? Unless they're like a true gig mu- magician, uh, musician, excuse me, gig musician, freelancer. They're on an independent contract. They're an independent contractor. And they are literally showing up, doing a song and leaving. And, and you're not going to see them again. Yeah. But if they are there with you, why? Why, why would you not? Well, like, I don't know. I say, ask questions. Ask the hard questions. Yeah. And there's, there's a lot of that in the industry too, is where these 
norms have been in place for such a long time that it's just become like people just accept it now. It's like, yeah, it's just the way it is. You know, that's just the way the industry runs. But why? Like, like you said, yeah. ask why. When you get the answer, make sure the answer makes sense. And if the answer is because nobody does that, ask why again. Yeah. Why? Like, why doesn't anybody yeah. do that? <laughs> you know, it just makes sense yeah. from a humanitarian standpoint. Like these people are, they're, they're your employees. They deserve, you know, the rights that everybody does. And that doesn't mean that an employee needs to be paid the same as a CEO. That honestly doesn't yeah, make any sense. No. It It's totally fair to have entry level jobs, to have jobs for people to grow from, to like value the amount of impact that a job has on the company. If somebody's managing 500 people versus if they're, you know, routing the mail in the mailroom, that it's not that the mailroom has no value and should be paid nothing or should be paid pennies. It's that the mailroom person should be paid fairly. And then you should go up from there. It shouldn't be like, it should oh, be you're trickle an executive. Down. All right. Yeah. It shouldn't be yeah. trickled down from the top. It should be trickled from the bottom up. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's, you know, watch a couple episodes of undercover boss and see how much training and hard work it is being at those levels. I mean, I think every boss should do that. I think everyone, I don't know. I have like these weird ideas. I think that I there should be a year between high school and college. And <laughs> I think that in that year, kids should do like an exchange program, but like within their country. So like if you grew up in the city, you should spend three months like on a farm, like legit on a farm, growing food, taking care of animals out in the wilderness. You should spend three months like in a like suburb type area in like just a regular office type job it's and you should spend three months in some sort of like factory type thing and then spend three months abroad and then you can go to college like it should be a required and if you grew up on a farm you should spend three months in a city doing something completely corporate yeah and you know like because we're so disconnected from each other it's really hard to understand what goes into all of the pieces and i think before you're allowed to be an executive at any company you should be do at least four weeks at an entry level position and at that company. No, at that company. It doesn't yeah. matter if you're Bob Iger, if yeah. you're going to start working at Warner brothers, you are starting in the mailroom and you are going to spend four weeks doing the mailroom, working with janitorial services, doing like all of these different things, getting familiar with the company, the people seeing the way it works. And then you can go on to your big you guy executive yeah. post. But that's a policy that we have at our company. Like I've had people ask about like executive positions we have, and I've told them point blank, we do not hire outside executives. If you want an executive position with us, you have to start as at least an apprentice. And as an apprentice, you're going to be like starting at the bottom. Like you are, you can grow with us. Um, and it also gives both the executive and the company a chance to kind of get to know each other and see if it's a good fit before you like hand over the reins. My current executive assistant started as our grant writing intern like two years ago. That's Sarah. And yeah, Sarah. Yeah, I love Sarah. Um, <laughs> me too. <laughs> She's amazing. It was really hard. Jazz, um, Jazz is actually in, in uh, animation school now. Really? College. Yeah. No way. That's actually um, what I graduated with. This uh, bachelor's in really? computer animation. Yeah. Animation. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, she, you know, she was with us for years and it was really cool, like watching her grow and seeing like everything. Like yeah. she's just incredible. And um, so cool. yeah, Sarah started with us as an intern and uh, she came back as a temp 
someone had to take an emergency medical uh, uh, leave for their family. And we asked her if she could come back in temp just because we needed somebody and she already knew us and it was kind of last minute. And I was yeah. like, uh, are you available? She was like, <laughs> sure. And then when I was looking to hire a new assistant, it was the same thing. I was like, do you want to come back like full time? And she sure. was like, yes. <laughs> so, um, I mean, she ha- she majored in film and minored in business. She's kind of perfect for that role. Oh my God, yes. Um, uh, yeah, that was not nepotistic. She was the valedictorian of SCAD. Wow. With a major in film and a minor in business. Like executive assistant at a production company is like oh, yeah. her job. Um, but yeah, no, she's absolutely spectacular. And even when we had like someone we were looking at bringing on as our vice president of public relations, we had them start, we start them as, you know, for a couple of weeks, just kind of see how it's going. And then they get um, moved over to whatever role. And I think that should be, I think that should be for every, everywhere. It, it I don't know. I just realized I completely got off the topic of oh, no, both no, filmmaking. You're good. I love and, it, I love um, it how, you, how you brought it back to, to Space Dreams. I was going to ask you, how big is your team? Uh, currently we are in-house um, nine. I have to count because we just had our summer internship just finished and they graduated. So I had to figure oh, out. Oh, gotcha. So nine. Yeah. Wow. It's a good yeah, size group. We, Heck yeah. And then we have people that we like work with regularly or mm-hmm. that we're working. Oh, I guess 10 actually. We just started a contractor this morning. So. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah. And then we'll have people that we work with like on a one-off, like on a project. Um, and just contractors so, that you bring in. Yeah. Contractors we bring in are like people on set. Like I'm not going to have like a PA on our payroll every day of the week, but we might have a PA on a project or whatever. Gotcha. So who scores your your uh, shorts? Is that your husband? Spacey. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, no, the last time we spoke, you you said uh, he had a, a major in music. Is that what he majored in? So uh, Spacey took some college classes, but he actually never went to college fully. Um, and I. Apparently, technically, didn't graduate high school. I thought I did, but I guess it never got recorded. So when I needed my diploma, it never. Um, it wasn't there. Sure, it wasn't there. <laughs> I'm old though, so it was like kind of like just as things were starting to get like network computerized. Yeah. Um, I just so, got lost yeah, in the system. Was, we'll go. That with was that. a cool. Yeah, I was like, maybe I should take a college <laughs> class just for fun, like a couple of years ago. And they were like, "Cool, do you have your GED?" And I was like, "Ooh, I don't know. Actually, let me see. Do I do I have that somewhere?" So. That's crazy. Um, that's crazy that that's still it. a requirement so many years after, you know. <laughs> and Stacey's like, why don't you just take it again? And I'm like, I don't know if I could pass it. Now. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it's been such a long time. <laughs> I would like, hate to take I a high school I was in honors class. math in high school, but that was a very long time ago. <laughs> um, and I'm really bad at math now. Um, but yeah, no, the uh, Stacey's been, like his heart has just been in music his whole life. <laughs> um we uh we actually met through music like through really? his music we were working on um hit record on tv and well we met on hit record but it was kind of like the way you would just like oh yeah i work here too and like you just kind of like meet somebody type thing um we're working we're like just contributing whatever whatever it's called and then he reached out to me about a music video that he was doing and asked if i could shoot some stuff for it for one of his songs and um yeah, the rest is history. But he um, he's an absolutely insane composer. And um, he scored the end in a day. Like he wrote the entire. Yeah, I mean, 42 it, hours for the whole thing. Week. You have to just kind of rush. Through. Does he have anything in the in the bank, like ready to go? Or is this 100% original every time? Well, so like, oh, yeah, no, he's got like hundreds of songs that he's done over the years. Gotcha. But um, 
He's got a band camp for anybody interested. It's um, iamspaceship.bandcamp.com. Nice. Um, but uh, yeah, he's got a bunch of different music out there. And then um, we have some music on our Patreon um, and some of his music videos on our Patreon. And then um, Space Dream Productions is also on Bandcamp and you can, we're starting to upload like our soundtracks there. Nice. Um, we actually have an exclusive song coming with a music video that we're very excited about nice. um, that will be available on our, on our Bandcamp and our Patreon and patrons get giveaways. So like, when we released our last soundtrack, one of our patrons got a free download. Um, <laughs> no, for the end, he just did it in a day because we were running out of time. Um, for Wrong Way, I used existing music that he'd made. We also, we will work with a couple of people who like, we know their music, we've used it before. Um, music is weird because I know, like there's so many composers. Whoever is telling composers to go through IMDb and find projects and posts to email production about and ask if they need a composer. <laughs> it's a great idea. Um, but there's a lot of you doing it and you should really like find a way to like make your email stand out. Cause we get so many of those emails. Oh, I'm sure. Um, like it's a great, it's brilliant. It's a, it's a, it's a great networking idea, but composers is like probably the most like we get requests for people wanting to compose stuff. Then we get requests for actors and then we get requests for crew, but like number one is composers Music. and then actors. And then nice. like, Hey, you know, can I, I'm the hair and makeup artist or I'm a this also just do your research because like if the, one of the main partners of the company is like his work has been part of two Emmy wins, they're probably not looking for a composer yeah. <laughs> at this time, <laughs> but it is good to know. We have hired composers in the past. Like we have hired other people um, for various reasons, but nine times nine and a half times out of ten we're gonna go with spacey spacey yeah i mean just because he's he's there right <laughs> yeah and music is his passion like it would be like me hiring a production designer when it's a project that i'm totally capable of designing that's like my passion and my background and like but if it's a big project yeah i need it i can't write produce direct and production design and shoot and you gotta gotcha gotta have that support so what what's uh what's next for Space Dream? What what are you guys working on? What's what's in the pipe? Just more 40 42 hour uh or 48 hour 42 project. hour 48 hour. <laughs> Trying to cut it short now. Um you're taking away a few hours. 6 hours. <laughs> yes. I need those I need every second, man. Yes, yeah, seriously. Um, we've uploaded so many films that like 11:59 or whatever it is like i think like the right cutoff there. is like 7 p.m yeah and it's been like you know i think our last one was at like 6 48 or something like that um use every second uh, I give you. well we it. also started sleeping because it's exhausting so like we get the project we sit down with it and then we go to bed and we wake up and we film it and we start editing it and we go to bed <laughs> so nice <laughs> yeah um, or we leapfrog, one of us will sleep or one of us works and the other one wakes up and works on it while the other one sleeps. Um, <laughs> it's good to have a, a steady partner like that. Yeah, no, um, seriously. So we just completed four films in six weeks, which was a lot. Um, uh, one of them premiered on Saturday. The other one is premiering on Thursday. The next one is premiering, I think, in October. And then one of them I was just an actress in and that one screened on Saturday as well. So we are doing some touch-ups on those edits that were like crunched. Uh, we just finished one of them yesterday. We're finishing another one today. 
uh, Wrong Way was completely finished. That one's going into festivals. So we're just submitting those into festivals. And then um, we have some clients that we're starting to work with that we love and clients that we've been working with that we love. More commercial clients, not not short film or anything? Well, they're like, one of them we edit for their YouTube channel. Gotcha. So it's, um, and they're a disability activist. They're a doctor. Um, oh, I should shout her out. It's called This Ability Clinic, T-H-I-S, nice. This Ability Clinic. Um, it's on YouTube. Really cool. She does a lot of like movie breakdowns and stuff, talking about things from like through a disabled lens. And she'll have like other people on to talk about the films. So it's definitely in that film slash activism area that we like to focus in. Um, and then uh, we edit for uh, a marketing company that does like humanitarian, like they support humanitarian people. Like the, um, we edit for a law firm that is doing a lot of, um, uh, they're, they're not Robin Hood in that they don't rob from the rich and steal from the poor, but they like go after like the corrupt. The rich, yeah. Um, so yeah, so we have clients like that where like we do like editing work or where we do content creation. Um, I just wrote a couple scripts for a client that um, is actually going to be helping educate people on like doing home renovations and like the procedure for that and like what sequence to do things. When do you call a general contractor versus calling an architect? Like, how do you do that? Because that's not common knowledge. Like, yeah. and even on like, you know, HGTV, no one tells you like, Hey, if you want to do this, you need plans before you call a general contractor or the general contractor can't give you a bit. Like they have no idea how much it's going to cost. They don't know what you're doing. So you have to call these guys first. They'll help you. And if you get a bunch of red tape from the city, they'll also help you. That's part of their job. Like it's, <laughs> it's just like, it's selling their services, but it's also like empowering people to like be able to think with it themselves, which I really like. So, um, I get to write little mini scripts that are like, they have that commercial kind of like twang to them. But if you watch it, you will walk away from it with information that you didn't have. And whether or not you hire them, you now know something you didn't know and you are more empowered as a person, yeah. which is the only type of content we want. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm the same way. I, I do this podcast and I learn so much from my guests and, and the clients that I take on to do video projects. It's like, I know about you know, uh, uh, air conditioner repair. I know, you know, <laughs> about leadership, about all kinds of stuff. And, and it's so cool to do what we do. And thank you so much for being on the podcast today, Cora. This, I, I could talk to you for hours. We've been going for, yeah, like I was just looking at, I was now. like, Oh my God, was that really like an hour and a half? <laughs> yes, it sure was. Uh, before we head out, um, how could people learn more about space dream productions? Where are you guys at? Where, where can they, uh, view your films? And so, uh, if people want to watch our films, the, only place you can access almost everything is on our Patreon. We have, they just started making channels on Patreon. So you can like, like all the live events that we've had that are recorded that are on Patreon, all the workshops, you can just click and just watch them all. All of our films, you can just click and watch them all. Um, we also have some of them on our website, but any of our most recent stuff's only on Patreon. Um, our website is spacestreamfilms.com. Our Patreon is Space Dream Films on Patreon. We are also Space Dream Productions on uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and TikTok. And um, we're trying to get more on TikTok. We've been sort of stockpiling a bunch of content that we're going to start putting out. But we do these monthly events where we like have like film commissioners or grant reviewers or all of these people like 
talk about some sort of insight into the industry, and then we record it. The full video goes onto our Patreon. The audio goes in part onto our podcast, Filmmaking Actually, which is also a great way. Um, there's also a Facebook group, Filmmaking Actually, which you can join and talk about all things film. Um, on our TikTok, we're going to start having little clips from these workshops where they're just like, you know, anything from like 15 seconds to a minute of just a little gem from one of these professionals that um we're really excited to share. We've got a whole bunch of them edited that are about to start being dropped and it's going to be exciting. No, that's awesome. And for us, it's going to be at blue box podcast on Instagram, TikTok, all the platforms. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, on uh, Apple podcast, all the platforms. Just look us up. We're blue box podcast or think outside the blue box. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you guys in the next episode. Bye.